Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. The opinion polls are showing something absolutely extraordinary. Labour's position is collapsing in its heartlands. The Tories are going backwards a little bit. And that's what's making this election, under the the first-past-the-post system, hugely unpredictable. Greg, I want to begin by talking a little bit about opinion polls. And I'm going to use this from a Welsh perspective, not because we want to go parochial or provincial on this podcast, but because it's where I live and this pattern appears to be developing in other parts of the country as well. And back in the summer, there was a an opinion poll by YouGov that showed something absolutely extraordinary in that support for Labour and the Conservatives had collapsed, but it collapsed far more for Labour. In fact, support for Labour in Wales had halved since the start of 2019. And what we found out um, with the poll dated the 4th of November, just what five days ago at the time of recording, is that that wasn't a fluke poll because um, the, the YouGov Wales regional voting intention has got Labour on 29%. That's 20 points down on the 2017 election result. The Conservatives on 28%. That's six points down on the last election. The Brexit Party on 15%. The Lib Dems on 12%. Plaid Cymru on 12% as well. And the Greens on 3%. And to take that on a, on a broader picture, there there are similar polls that have been done, particularly in, in other Labour heartlands, including the northeast of England, um, that are very similar. Now, this suggests to me that there is a substantial breakdown in Labour support in its heartlands in areas that have voted Labour for decades. Support for the Conservatives nationally has fallen as well. But what is noticeable with the fall, uh, the collapse of the Labour support is there's no single beneficiary of that. Um, the support, th- those percentage points have been fragmented. And that, I think, is what is making this election very unpredictable. I'd agree with you. However, I would go as far as to say Labour don't stand a chance because they, I doubt if they'll get a single seat in Scotland. You think it's that bad, do you? Uh, yeah, um, because they have rendered themselves so unpopular because they've gone in for cult politics. And as soon as you've got cult politics, you're dividing your political consensus of supporters. The big problem Labour has got, I think, is that their Brexit policy is incredibly muddled and it's laughable in many ways because their policy, they're saying now, is that they would gain power, they would renegotiate a a new deal within six months and then they would hold a referendum which would be a, a straight choice between the deal they've negotiated and staying in the European Union in which they would campaign to stay in the European Union namely to go against the deal they've just negotiated. Now I know that there aren't many people on the Labour front bench and not that many on the Labour back benches who have experiences of the world of business and negotiations but if you're going to go to the EU and say we are going to negotiate a deal and whatever deal you offer we're going to campaign against our own deal in a referendum to propose to stay in well that by definition incentivizes the eu to offer us the worst deal possible no well no they can offer us a good one and look good because they know that the government is going to vote against it well they're not likely to do that though are they knowing what oh i think they they may well the, the eu at the end of the day is nothing if not duplicitously cunning Mm. Um, we have no negotiators. 
and because it's not just the Labour Party that couldn't negotiate their way out of a paper bag. Right, let's I've get this never... let's get this back on. I, I don't want to get too much on a tangent on that side of things, but I'm just looking at these polls now from Wales and the northeast of England and looking at um, the, the Brexit party who obviously didn't exist at the last election, um, but they're on 15% in Wales right now. Um, now, the big question is what this poll doesn't tell us is whether that 15% has come from the Labour side or the Conservative side. Now, if, for example, in Labour heartland seats, uh, support for Labour has halved even in those seats, if the Brexit party steals votes from Labour there, in some cases it's not inconceivable that a Conservative or a Lib Dem could get through the middle on the the first-past-the-post system. But what is, for those of us who who want Brexit delivered, is the Brexit party taking significant percentage points away from the Conservatives and therefore risking allowing a Labour or a Lib Dem candidate through the middle in seats the Conservatives could win? I don't think that the Brexit party are going to get anywhere near that 15%. I think that's a a pollster's dream and people putting out a shock warning but I don't think they'll vote that way in the end. Right, OK. Because... At, that, at that point, then, I've got a national poll in front of me now. This is um, a panel-based poll, this one. And this is, a. am going to tell you now, the changes from the 31st of October to the uh, 8th of November, which is yesterday at the time of recording. The Conservatives are on 40%, unchanged in a week. Labour are on 30%, up 1%. Uh, on this time last week, so within the margin of error, in other words. The Lib Dems are on 15%, still um, they're up 1% as well on last week. The Brexit Party are on 8%, and they've lost a percentage point. Um, The Green Party are unchanged on um, 3%. So that's the UK-wide picture. Now, we can take... What I'm getting at is, is it's one of the things I studied at university, how to interpret opinion polls and zoology and all this sort of thing and the way I'm looking at it when you break the data down and what's interesting is the data that's not available to us as much as the data that is available to us and what I am seeing is effectively 650 individual battles going on here because the big question is the the collapse of the Labour vote without there being a single beneficiary in its place it's all to do with who can creep through the middle in some cases and I think another big factor, and this is something you touched on just a moment ago, is as the election campaign develops, I think the things are going to go wrong for the Brexit party. And the reason is when people are presented with a stark choice of Boris Johnson's deal, which as you and I discussed on the podcast last week, is far from ideal, and I make no bones about that, but it does present a clear framework for us to leave the EU and have what is effectively a two-year transition process. Um, And that is something that's going to be exposed and the Brexit party's position will be exposed as well actually you could well you guys could well be allowing Jeremy Corbyn into Downing Street if people vote for you in significant numbers because of the first past the post system and I think that will be exposed in the weeks ahead. The other danger of course is that um, Brexit is not a party Um, the so-called Brexit party is a Farage cult Um, you can look at the Brexit so-called party and to be blunt about it, who else is there? Mm. Mm. Can you name more than three or four? I probably can. I can name Richard Tice, Anne Widdicombe, um, James Foreman, um, Nathan Gill. Like I could keep going, but I'm not typical, and let's be honest, neither are you. But right. 
but but I mean general public, I doubt they could name more than three or four. I doubt most of them could see beyond Farage. I mean, okay, Anne Widdicombe has got a following of sorts in the region she represents in the European Parliament, um, but as as such, yes, it's a Farage cult. Yeah, and even if you take someone like Anne Widdicombe, um, she's better known for um, strictly come dancing, mm. um, and um, some other celeb thing where um, she was losing weight. Mm. Um, and Celebrity Big Brother. She's done quite a few of these sorts of programs. Yeah, because she's um, single, mm. um, fairly energetic, quite personable, um, and has no job. Yep. But where do you think we're heading now in the weeks ahead? Because I, I just gave you an idea of my analysis there that I think we have got 650 different <coughs> different battles. Now, if you assume that the polls are broadly correct, and again, to emphasise my original point, this is not a fluke poll. We are now seeing in Wales cons- polls consistently showing that support for Labour has halved in 2019. And now we're seeing that replicated in the north of England, certainly. And that almost certainly means it's also happening in the other Labour heartlands. But without there being a single beneficiary, it's very hard for anybody you know, to see those 20-odd those percentage points fragmented. Some have gone to the Conservatives. Some have gone to the Brexit Party, particularly in, the, in the, the working class heartlands. Some have gone to the Liberal Democrats, particularly in London, which is a Remainer city. It's very hard to see. This is, you're effectively throwing the cards in the air and seeing which way they'll land as far as a first-past-the-post election goes. If this was proportional representation, it would be far easier to predict, but it's first-past-the-post. I'll give you one example, historic example, from a little bit before my time. The 1983 general election, Cardiff West, and this was at the height of the Labour-SDP rivalry. Um, Speaker George Thomas had just retired, um, stood down as Speaker in what was a safe Labour seat historically. Uh, George Thomas became Speaker of the House of Commons, retired as Cardiff West MP. The Labour, the, the leftist vote was split between the Labour candidate and the SDP candidate, and as a result, the Conservative got through the middle, Stefan Trileski. Now, similar things in different ways are playing out in across the country, which I think is making this incredibly unpredictable. I would agree with you. And the other thing that is becoming uh, very much noticeable, and it's not just um, since you started out with Wales, um, in Wales, um, many areas of politics at the moment are more vitriolic than they've ever been before. Uh, For instance, we've seen in this election, um, Plaid, who were prepared to work with the Labour Party, have now switched to working with the Liberal Democrats, who are neither Liberal nor Democratic. Agreed. And um, they are—they have become total political prostitutes. They will do absolutely anything just to stay in power. They're not going to get any consequential rise in um, the number of MPs returned. It will be... They've got four at the moment. It will be four, maybe five. You make an important point there. I actually, I'm going to have one minor disagreement with you on this. I think that Plaid Cymru, looking at the polls and interpreting the data as I did, 
before I prepared this podcast, I think the Plaid Cymru are either going to stay at four or go down to three. I think they may well lose the seat in Carmarthenshire, and I think the battleground for them, the key battleground, will be Ynys Morn. But you make a good point about the Liberal Democrats, because well, I think one of the big things we've lost in politics in this country is traditional old-school liberalism in the mould of Jeremy Thorpe or Joe Grimmond. I think what happened was we had the merger of the Liberals and the SDP in the late 1980s to form the Liberal Democrats. It wasn't immediately obvious in the Ashdown years, but it became clear as time went on that it was the SDP ideology that was dominating the party at the expense of traditional liberalism. And now with this pact that's been agreed, this isn't the purpose of this discussion, but it's an important side point to make, is that if you are happen to live in a constituency where the Liberal Democrats have stood aside for Plaid Cymru, if you are a Liberal in the true sense of the word and in the historic sense of the word, and that is your ideology, you are highly unlikely to vote for a party of Welsh nationalists, um, uh, Welsh language obsessives, and they are incredibly obsessives, um, they're, they're becoming increasingly woke leftist cultists under the leadership of uh, Adam Price. This is not an ideology a traditional liberal, in the old sense of the word, could support. Um, they've actually gone one step further than you're claiming, in my opinion. Uh, they've become the party of hate. Um, they hate everyone except their members or those who agree with them. Hmm. And then when they've got a moment to spare, they hate each other. Well, yes. Well, we, we know from our own experiences with UKIP um, in later years watching on from a safe distance in both our cases that small parties are by definition prone to splits. But yes, you're right. Plaid Cymru has a lot of internal rivalries within it at the moment and uh, not the purpose of this podcast, but you do make a good point there. And the other thing I would say is there is a re- there is a reason we haven't had a December general election in this country since 1923. Even in more predictable, calmer waters, there are good reasons not to have a general election in December. Uh, for, for example, put yourself in a position of an ordinary working person. You've done a long day's work in your office. You get in your car. It gets dark at four o'clock. You get in your car. You're driving home. There's wind and rain lashing against your car windscreen. You arrive home your kids are playing up, you're tired, you just want to relax. Are you less likely to go out and vote in those circumstances than on a summer's evening where you and your family can just take a walk to the polling station? Because the answer is, if you are of a strong political persuasion in any direction, you are likely to go out and vote anyway. But if you are less bothered or if you're half-hearted or if no particular party has captured your imagination and got you passionate, you're quite likely under those circumstances to stay at home. And there's also other factors like on the day, for example. What if it happens to snow? What if it's wind and rain and the elderly and those who are unsteady on their feet and those who uh, have mobility issues, are they less likely to go to the polling station? There are good reasons why we don't have general elections in December. I think the elderly are the most likely people to go under any circumstances out of some sense of re- responsibility. And I also think that um, there will be a very high element of uh, won't go, not because of the weather, but because of what's the point in voting. They'll only ignore you, now, just like they did with the referendum. Now, now you make a point there because I, I've noticed on social media, and I know social media doesn't really represent anybody. It's not typical of how people behave out there in the real world. 
But I do wonder how many people will be saying, particularly those who voted for Brexit, well, I just don't believe any party anymore. I don't think that many people are going to behave in that way. I think the more interesting and important battle is how many people are actually going to be taken in by Nigel Farage demanding we leave on a no-deal basis. Um, uh, and those who, the, the, the point of view you and I support, will go along with Boris Johnson's deal. Because I think, I think that's the thing that's really going to come into focus, is that a vote for Nigel Farage's Brexit party as we discussed on the podcast last week, could sabotage Brexit completely by allowing in Labour, Liberal Democrats, SNP, whoever, making up some form of coalition government or somehow stopping Brexit. I think that is something that needs to be brought further and further into focus in the weeks ahead. And I think it will be brought into focus. Now, by this time next week, when we record next week's podcast, the first head-to-head televised debate will have taken place between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson. That'll be on ITV towards the end of next week. What are your predictions as to how that's going to go? I think uh, that... It's going to be transparent during that that Corbyn will promise anything to get into power. But when you sit and look at it, none of it will be deliverable without bankrupting the country. Um, They're at the moment talking of more than 400 billion of borrowing. How the hell are they going to pay it back? Mm. We've just had 10 years of austerity to put the Tories into a position where they do appear to be able to show where the money will come from for their claims. But you cannot promise 400 billion plus that is all going to be taken off of the people who pay 28% of your current tax bill. They're just going to fold their tent and do as they can do, relocate their incomes. Yeah, you make a good point there, and you're referring to that thing you and I both spotted on Twitter in the week with Jeremy Corbyn um, cursing billionaires in general. Well, I don't have a problem with somebody being a billionaire if they are providing thousands of jobs to people living in this country, and those thousands of jobs uh, for, for people who are paying taxes and are paying into the system and are not claiming benefits billionaires if they are wealth creators and are employment creators then i have no problem with this and wealth creators are a a precious commodity in this country and if you're driving those people abroad as the labor governments of the 1970s did then you end up with a huge problem but i think this what this really showed that particular tweet of jeremy corbyn which you're thinking about and i'm thinking about that his ideology is the ideology of jealousy and envy well He's not far short of most of the other parties which are not promoting a policy of what they believe in. They're promoting policy of hate for everything else. And we have, coming from the Labour Party, hatred of billionaires, hatred of employers, hatred of success, hatred of just about everything except the six who are in the cult, Um, hatred between the backbench and the frontbench, hatred between the electorate, the momentum nutters, and the genuine decent Labour voters. Um, 
this hatred is all pervading. Nobody nowadays seems to have an intellectual grasp of what Brexit means because all the people who have got a grasp are climbing the greasy pole in Europe, uh, which is a bigger um, pole with less democratic answerability. And the people who left don't really understand what the European Union's about. They don't know how it runs. They haven't a clue what its long-term aims are. Their genuine intellectual grasp of what's going on with Europe is you, something you could write on the back of a postage stamp with a felt-tip pen. If anyone tells you they know for sure which way this election is going to go, don't believe them. My thanks as always to Greg, and my thanks to you for listening. Who knows where we'll be next week, but join us again as we try to make sense of it all. See you then.